Welcome to episode six of the End to the Hopper podcast, an occasional podcast about machine learning, data science, software engineering, and more. On this episode, I have my friend, Dr. Roy Keyes, to talk about his new book, Hiring Data Scientists and Machine Learning Engineers. After a career in physics, Roy pivoted to a career in data science, and after years of being involved with the data science hiring process, Roy decided to put his pen to paper to share his lessons with others. Welcome, Roy. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Would you like to add anything more about an introduction to yourself? Sure. I, I mean, I think you covered most of the uh, high points, but I guess I'll say uh, my, my background is in physics. I studied computational physics, focusing on uh, radiation physics for uh, medical applications like cancer therapy with the radiation. And uh, then about, about almost 10 years ago at this point, switched over to data science. And since then, I've, I've worked mostly in the startup world, tech startups, um, kind of starting out with consulting. And then I went and spent a number of years at different startups working directly. And then most recently, been doing some consulting again. And uh, during that time, you know, went from being a, an individual contributor to being a manager and uh, spent a lot of time on hiring, yes. Yeah, so what, what was the, I mean, that's a little bit of the background, but what, what motivated you to put together this book? Well, so last year uh, in 2020, um, I, was, uh, I was at a, a startup that uh, not too long after the pandemic hit the U.S., uh, that, that startup ended up laying off about half of the company, including me and, and most of the data science organization. And so... After that, I started doing some consulting stuff, but um, at one point I, did, I wanted to look into the possibility of, of pursuing some of my own sort of business ideas. So I, I guess potentially doing my own startup. And uh, there are several areas that I'm interested in, but, but one of them is around hiring just because in, especially in my uh, most recent role, I had a lot of issues around trying to scale the process of hiring and ended up evaluating a ton of tools to try to help out with uh, hiring and skills assessment and things like that. And was I was not very uh, happy with with the uh, tools that are available available on the market. So I was exploring some ideas like that, and I ended up interviewing a ton of data science and machine learning hiring managers. And at the same time, I was. Uh, doing some consulting stuff for a number of companies and basically ended up having the same conversation about hiring over and over, you know, what kinds of roles should we hire for? How should we structure our team? How do we actually assess these candidates and attract them and things like that? So, um, you know, after a while I, I actually kind of landed on not doing the startup because I, I couldn't really find an idea that I thought um, was the right one. And, but at the same time, I, you know, had been having all these conversations and thinking about all this stuff that kept coming up over and over again. And, and I was actually planning on doing a series of blog posts around hiring. Uh, but then uh, one of the people that we both know, Joel Gruss, uh, I saw that he had um, published his most recent book and, and he had done, um, he had done that as a self-published book using a platform called LeanPub. And I uh, naively thought, hey, I could probably just put out a book instead of some blog posts and it'll only take me a couple months. Right. So, you know, here we are <laughs> months and months and months later. And today uh, is uh, 29th of June and it's up. Oh, sorry. It's the 30th of June. I spent too much time working on getting everything perfect yesterday, but the 30th of June and, and uh, just, just launched the book. Cool. So maybe before we dive in, it would be helpful to give 
um, something of a, an overview of what does this book actually cover? And, and for um, folks who are interested, which hopefully is everyone who's listening, you can go on to the um, uh, site, which is dshiring.com. Is that correct? Yes, DS is in data science. dshiring.com will get you there. And you can see the table of contents and there's uh, some sample chapters yes. you can take a look at, but maybe you can give a little overview of what you uh, tried to cover in the book. The book has a broad audience. I would say it is aimed at you know, kind of on the one side of the spectrum is the data scientist or machine learning person who has never hired anyone before, but they're suddenly in a position where they need to hire more people for their team. So this book covers a lot of just the process of hiring in general. But it's also aimed at people who have experience hiring technical people, maybe software engineers or whoever, but they've never uh, hired for these specific roles. And then in between, and I think it will also be of interest to people who have done this kind of hiring, but just want to get additional uh, ideas to, to help them uh, improve their hiring process. So so that's there's a lot of stuff there. You know, uh, It starts out by talking about what is data science and machine learning, machine learning, engineering, uh, how does that fit into different businesses? And, and then asking you to kind of to step back and say, what are we really trying to do? And does it make sense to have these roles? And then what are the roles based on what we want to accomplish and what tasks are, are associated with those goals we have? And then kind of thinking also about some of the skills required to accomplish those tasks. And, and from there, really kind of narrowing down what, what roles do we really need? And then there's a lot of discussion about, you know, what these roles are, which that's probably one of the things that uh, there are a billion definitions out there and everybody likes to uh, kind of argue about it and have their own opinion. And I make a futile attempt to try to clarify those things a little bit to help people, um, you know, land on the roles that they really need. Um, so, you know, once you have those in mind, then it, then it kind of goes through and, and asks you questions about what your process should look like. You know, what are, what are your resources available? What are the constraints placed on you by budget and time and, and people available to work on this? And so it sort of steps you through how to optimize this process relative to uh, also the market. So if you're hiring for especially junior level roles, you're going to get flooded with applicants. So you really have to, from day one, be thinking about how can I build a process that can handle that volume of applicants? Uh, and then talk specifically about doing skills assessments and all your different options for doing that and, and doing interviews and how you structure them and, and then how you make decisions. And so it, it's really uh, the full spectrum there. Um, and then finally, the last chapter is about you know, setting up these new hires for success. What should you be doing there? And then on top of all of that, uh, there are uh, right now five interviews with other data science and machine learning hiring managers from a bunch of the different tech companies. And uh, they, they, uh, they offer a, a much broader perspective. Yeah, I thought those interviews were a really neat addition. I didn't realize you had been planning to um, add those. And I think that's an extremely helpful idea in a book like this to get get some outside perspective. Did you find that, you know, I, I guess, well, did you ask the people that you interviewed um, the same set of questions or is it distinct questions for different different people? So I, I asked them basically the same questions. I mean, one of them, of course, was just setting up the context of who they were and what they had been doing and, and who they'd been hiring. Uh, and then mostly I asked 
them, you know, what, what, what are the challenges you've seen? What are the changes you've seen in hiring? And, uh, and then some more specific questions specific to the situation that they're in. But uh, I, I also was really glad that I did those interviews. Um, I kind of did them for two reasons. I mean, coming out of all the, the sort of interviews I did when I was looking at startup ideas, I you know, realized that my specific experience hiring these kinds of roles uh, was certainly not encompassing the experience, all of the experience out there by a long shot. But specifically, you know, I had been in these small to medium sized startups and had a lot of resource constraints and, and kind of specific scenarios. But talking to people, especially from some bigger tech companies, uh, you realize that the kind of challenges they face are very different than the ones that I had been faced with. So the kinds of things they're focusing on are a bit different. And uh, so I thought it made sense to, uh, to uh, do these interviews to really get all these different perspectives. And you can also see a lot of commonalities. So those are the that, those are the times when it's like, oh, it's not just Roy's random opinion, but but really these are the, the same types of things that everyone's seeing. And then you see those differences. Um, I also thought it would be, hey, this would be pretty easy uh, to get cool content. And of course, uh, that's also probably a poor estimation on my time my my part because you know you have it it does take a lot of effort to record those interviews and then transcribe those interviews and everything and uh i tried all the transcription tools out there and also and and none of them were very satisfying i did the i self-published the should you get a phd book uh i guess it's coming on eight or nine years ago now and uh, i didn't do audio interviews i did email interviews and and um the difference between people promising to complete an interview and being willing to actually sit down and answer the questions and email them made it a much harder process <laughs> than I anticipated. But yeah. I really like that format of, of things. I, I think there's a ton to be gleaned through um, you know, talking to multiple people about the same rough topic and getting their different perspectives. Right. Um, and uh, there was a book, uh, maybe data, data scientists at work or something some years ago that was like, just interviews with data scientists that I always found really helpful. And I, mean, I think that's a, a really solid addition to this book. And I'm sure that's going to be helpful for people. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm considering sort of continuing a series there either with sort of podcasty stuff or some blog posts, uh, because I think there's just so many interesting stories that, that I had a, at least one other person that was lined up that uh, didn't get around to in time for, for the book, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Maybe I'll add it in uh version 1.1 or whatever the book. Is this the first book that you're aware of on this topic specifically about data science? And if, if so, which I think the answer is probably yes, is are there other um, kind of blog posts or medium articles or talks that people tend to cite on this or? So there actually is another book out there that is about hiring data scientists. And it was written by DJ Patil in 2011. So you know, that's oh, right. I remember that. that. I think, you know, that, that, that might've been before they had books, but, uh, it, <laughs> that's back when data science was the sexiest job of the 21st century. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's actually, I think like a free ebook that's like 18 pages long or something. So, so it's a bit different in scope and obviously a lot's happened in the last 10 years, but there's still a lot of good information in that book. Uh, there are a couple of sites out there that have some in-depth blog posts. Uh, they're mostly from, 
recruiting agency type people. Uh, but I, overall, I think there is just a dearth of material. I mean, if your goal is to get hired as a data scientist or machine learning engineer, there's a, a ton of stuff online, a ton of resources. Uh, but if you're on the hiring side of things, uh, there's just not that much. And that, that's one of the reasons uh, that I decided to to write this specific book. Yeah, and like you, I, most of my experience has been in relatively small companies, startups or, or other smallish companies. Um that don't tend to have as you know, robust of a hiring process as as you can develop in the bigger companies when you have a, just a lot of resources and people devoted to it. Um, you know, I've been I, I've actually not been involved in that much hiring in my career, but I've been surprised on several occasions where you know a day before uh, an interview, I'm said, "Oh, go interview this person," and you try to find out, "Oh, what am I what am I supposed to be?" accomplishing here and like, right. well, uh, you know, is this somebody we should hire? Yeah. With no I, sort of framework or anything. I, I would call that, um, kind of an anti-pattern if you will. Uh, w- one of the things I stress in the book is that, you know, you need to, you need to have a process and you need to train your people to follow the process. Um, you know, and I also mentioned, of course, your process will not be perfect. You need to iterate on that, but you, you still want to stick to what you've got. Uh, I, I think a lot of people who haven't spent, that much time in the hiring world, or uh, maybe just haven't spent enough time thinking about it. Uh, they they they're they feel okay winging it, and you know sometimes m- maybe that's okay. But for the most part, especially when you have like these high volume situations, and especially you know if you have applicants who have potentially many other places they can go, that that's probably the wrong way to do it. Uh, you you end up kind of wasting people's time. Maybe I don't want to admit that uh, most of the jobs I've, uh, I myself have taken have uh, <laughs> been at companies that have anti-pattern hiring processes, but <laughs> well, it's, it's probably I, been the case. <laughs> I mean, it, it's common, and uh, you know, especially in the startup world, where when you when you start small, it doesn't make sense to have an absurd amount of process, right? You're, you you can't be a bureaucracy at that level uh, and really get to where you need to be because you need to be so flexible so early on. Uh, but, you know, sometimes there, there are some basic kind of guardrails that you can put in, I'd say. And uh, just to not do really dumb things, which can, can happen, but um, it, it really depends. You know, I, I also mentioned in the book, like things about the scale of the organization. And, uh, you know, one is just as a hiring manager, you, you uh, at, at some scale, you usually don't have nearly as much flexibility in how you want to run your process, right? Because there are established things. Uh, the sort of h- highest end is like, uh, I talk about this in the part about decision-making is that at some point your company is big enough that they'll say, we should have a hiring committee that is uh, sort of higher up than any team hiring because they want to standardize things, right? That's a very, very common thing to do. And and at a, at a certain size, that makes perfect sense. But at most smaller sizes, it probably doesn't. So I guess I also don't know anything about any broader literature in this space. But um, you know, if there are books out there, and I assume there are, on hiring maybe just software engineers or, or other kind of technical roles more broadly, what is distinctive about this book being specifically for data science, machine learning, engineering, um, that is going to be useful for, for people in those industries? Well, I think there's uh, probably two things. One of them I can sum up in a sentence, which is that uh, at this moment in time, the volume of candidates 
for data science and machine learning roles seems to just be much, much higher per opening than uh, your typical software engineering opening. So you just have to think about the process in a different way because you have a different scale that you need to contend with. Uh, the, The other part is just the specific roles this is about. You know, it's talking about the specific skills you need and kind of landing on what those roles are. And uh, some in, in sort of the book, the stuff that I've written and some also in the interviews, you know, you talk about um, the, some of the differences between those two interviews, let's say the, the software engineers versus the data people. And, uh, you know, and some of it is about the anti-pattern of applying software engineering interviews to the data people and, and uh, which I'm sure that you've seen that. I've definitely seen that, especially in the earlier days. Some people will be familiar with a, a podcast that I was on that I was, I, I'm very proud of, which is with our friend Joel Groose and, and Andrew Musselman on their adversarial learning podcast. It's been some years ago now we did an interview about uh, bad interview experiences <laughs> we've had uh, on the, on the interviewing, you know, on the candidate right. side of the table, not on the hiring side. Um, and we had all been through the ringer, uh, several times around, but I wondered if in writing this, there are takeaways, um, on ways in which a candidate can improve the process for themselves. Uh, you know, even, even going into a company that may not have all these things, figured out and may not have a good process right. in place. Are there questions that a candidate can ask or approaches a candidate can take to make, you know, a better experience for them and uh, which ultimately is going to be a better experience for the company as well? Well, I, I think it's, I think this is a difficult, difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, there, there's so much variation in the companies uh, and their process processes that they use that it's, it's really hard to know, but um, probably the best thing is just for candidates to have a, better sense of the challenges that those companies are facing because what each of you is kind of optimizing for is very different. And uh, I I guess I would say when, you know, having been on the other side of the table and, and looking at an opening where you're getting hundreds or thousands of applicants uh, potentially, you know, you realize that even a really, really good person uh, won't necessarily make it, to the final stage or get an offer or whatever. And a lot of times it's, it is not the candidate, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the competition they're seeing or uh, because of also just the size and volume of the, that applicant pool that, that, that raises the chance of also errors that people make, right. Whether it's uh, stupid mistakes, like, you know, not emailing someone back in a timely manner or at all, or, uh, just some more fundamental flaw in the process. But I, I would say, you know, it, it's important to understand that these are very, very noisy processes that, that uh, like, you probably shouldn't take very personal. And uh, that's not to say that, you know, there are bad companies, bad actors, but uh, even the best ones are going to do stuff that feels unfair, at least. Um so in that sense, it's maybe be a little stoic, I guess. And then on the other side, the action, I guess, is, you know, to apply widely and to as uh, also, you know, try to put yourself in a position where uh, the companies might take more notice 
such as if there are companies that seem reasonable to you and you have, and you have people that can refer you to help you potentially get, um, you know, skip a step in the process or just gain slightly more, uh, attention from the hiring managers. I, I, it's really hard. I mean, um, on the candidate side, I think one of the things that in my book, that's probably frustrate some candidates is that I, uh, process I've used and a process I recommend if, if you're in a very high volume, low resource scenario is to not use the resumes as a screening filter. And, uh, the, the way that the sort of mechanics of that is basically, you know, you might do like a very cursory look at the, at the resume just to say, you know, is this at all in the, in the right ballpark? And then if so, then basically for the next step, give them a, a relatively lightweight technical assessment. Um, and then later on, you you still use the resume, but not just like as a screener. It's more as, hey, this is a person who seems to have the basic qualifications. And uh, then maybe a phone screen has been done next. But now we, we have this resume as additional information. So it's sort of a uh, flipped around way of how you use your resume. But on the other hand, a lot of candidates put a lot of time into their resumes and all that stuff. So they might feel uh, unhappy if, if uh, when they hear sort of the advice of ignoring resumes. Yeah, I mean, my resume is has generated on uh, on GitHub Actions and generates both an HTML and a LaTeX built uh, PDF file. So I, I really, uh, I need you to respect it when right. you look at it. Yeah, it's, it is so hard. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's the same thing with, uh, uh, you know, profiles on GitHub or wherever or cover letters. Um, I did a poll recently on Twitter that was basically in response to someone who asked the question or, or they, they gave the advice, you know, you should put a lot of, a lot of thought into your cover letter and that's what gets people's attention who are hiring. And, you know, the cover letters are something that I seldom look at. So I just, I put a poll up just asking, cause I didn't know the answer, which was uh, how often are you as a hiring manager looking at cover letters? And, and the answer seemed to be that it wasn't very, often, at least in the small sample I got in that, in that poll. And th- that's something that can be frustrating too, is just you're, you're putting a lot of effort in there and then uh, it's not really being seen. And, and, and honestly though, this, this comes down to, to volume, right? Tim Hopper is a very experienced senior level person. So hopefully he is looking at these, you know, staff, staff plus roles where there are very few peer applicants, candidates there. So, so at that point, you know, it should be uh, that people are going to love your LaTeX resume and, and all the tweaks you made. <laughs> Did get a compliment from a, a recruiter on it one time, um, only in that it was very, uh, it's like very <laughs> clean and simple. The PDF form is nice. not, not very uh, frilly. And she appreciated that. She said, well, next time I'll just send you the raw LaTeX file. <laughs> Um, so can you go into a little bit of what you mean by a, a very lightweight technical screen? What, what is the details of what something might like that might look like? Uh, sure. I'll give you a little bit of the background of how I got there, because I think that's kind of interesting, which is basically at the, the, the first start, startup where I was hiring, um, I decided to send everyone a technical skills assessment. And in that case, I, I sent people a data set. And then basically ask them to build a predictive model and then do a write-up of, you know, what you did, what you found, why you did what you did. And, uh, you know, overall that worked very well. We 
probably had for one one position we were looking at 100 to 200 applicants maybe and a large number of them just simply don't do the assessment uh, this was one where i said you know here's the material turn it back in in a, in a week and honestly i didn't even care if it was exactly a week or if they asked me for more time i i always said fine that's no problem um and that worked that worked pretty well i think um now, when I went to my next company, just a few years later, I decided to do essentially the same process. But what happened was the volume of applicants to these roles had just multiplied many fold at that point. Uh, you know, these are both startups that essentially no one's ever heard of. So it's not like we had some big brand name out there. It was just the, the, the size of the candidate pool in general had just increased so much. So at that and point, is that their job aggregator sites like Indeed or something? Like yeah, that? I mean, we were both yeah. for both of these roles. We'd pl- apply at in or you know advertise on Indeed, LinkedIn, uh, these sort of general sites, um, and you know Im- immediately it was clear that if I sent the this assessment out to uh, to all comers, that there was going to be no way that I could actually handle the scoring and still sleep or whatever. So uh, the first thing I did was I put in a resume screening process, you know, exactly what I just said not to do a second ago. And, but in this case, what I did was, uh, you know, I, I made a, a relatively simple scoring rubric for the, for the resumes and just going through them, you know, that was a lot of effort. Um, and then doing the actual scoring, uh, at, in this case, actually at that point outsourced the scoring of these assessment to another data scientist who had been consulting with us, but was very good at what they did. Uh, but even then there was a lot of overhead and sort of coordinating things. There's there's overhead coordinating, just sending the material to the candidate. Uh, we, we actually, instead of giving them a week at that point, I think we were giving them something weird, like six hours. There was a disagreement between my boss and myself about how much time we should give them. Uh, and uh, this is the kind of thing that you always run into is people have very strong opinions. Uh, my boss at that time, uh, felt strongly that only people who didn't have a job would be able to do, you know, or they, people who didn't have a job be able to spend an unlimited amount of time on like a week long assessment. Um, and so we, we did some weird kind of compromise on that, but anyway, it was still a huge hassle. And so the next time around when I did hiring decided to switch to a, an assessment that was mostly automated. That's that. And this is where I, I, I call it sort of a lightweight assessment, uh, even though I'm, I'm sure some people would, just to not consider it lightweight specifically, but basically at this point in the, in the overall interview process, this acts as an initial technical filter and for machine learning and, and data science type roles, the, the main things that, that I put in these assessments is, is looking at some basic data analysis, uh, which also includes very relatively straightforward ability to, uh, read in some data files and kind of munge them and, and put them together. Um, and then also some, and, and then basically asking them some questions uh, that are relatively straightforward, you know, starting with like, what's the mean of this column? And then, you know, getting up to something very complicated where they're doing a lot of uh, uh, joins and group buys and things like that. Uh, no, nothing crazy, but uh, the things that, that most data scientists, analysts, and machine learning people do all the time. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, and then some relatively basic programming, all the roles I've worked in have all been Python. So that's, that's what I've been using there. Uh, and then finally, some things around machine learning. Um, in my last role, I actually hiring there decided to 
to basically have the candidates write an essay about machine learning, which sounds a little strange, but the, uh, the hypothesis was that we could probably get a lot of the signal about what they knew about machine learning by just asking them, what would you do in this scenario rather than having them try to build a model and things like that. So, so in that sense, it's a relatively lightweight, you know, we're not having them go too in depth. We want to see that they have some of the basic skills. Uh, this was an online test that was mostly automatically scored and um, the, the applicants were given an, a time window of, of a couple weeks in which they could take that assessment at any time. And then they were having, then they were given like 90 minutes to just to complete the test once they started it. So the, I, you know, and if you were in a scenario with just a huge volume of applicants, you know, on the one hand, you want to select the quote best, most skilled candidates. But on the other hand, you know, you also, you just simply need to narrow that funnel. And, you know, if, Everyone in who applies is, uh, I don't know, whoever you think is very skilled at technical stuff, let's say uh, Elon Musk, whatever, you know, you might have a thousand Elon Musks in there, but you literally don't have time to interview all thousand of them, right? So you, you have to narrow it somehow. And, uh, you know, there's jokes about people throwing resumes down the stairwell or whatever, and just taking the ones on the top, top couple steps. Uh and, and there is the reality is you just, you need to get it down some way, but uh, also you hope that that one is sort of correlated to some extent with skill at that point. And uh, so that, that's what's, that's, that's what I run at that, at that point when you have these very high volume scenarios and uh, it's, it's not in depth. I, I always recommend to do another round of screening on technical skills uh, because I've definitely seen even in the very in, more in depth uh, sort of home take home tasks and whatever I've, I've seen people who would get through that and then you reassess them and you realize that uh, something doesn't add up. And the same thing with these kind of more automated screens is that sometimes you'll get people who happen to be able to do well or potentially cheated. I've seen a lot of cheating. And uh, then when you, when you get them to an onsite or whatever and, and ask them some other questions and, and it's clear that uh, they, they, don't have what it would take to actually do the job. When you do a process like that, did you have a goal of um, a size or percentage that you were trying to scale it down? Or I mean, maybe that's just a kind of a slider that you can say so, to take assessments up to this. So I, I do talk level. about specifically that in the book. You know, it is trying to estimate your sort of bottlenecks in your process. And, uh, you know, what? at what point are you limited by the capacity that you can deal with. And, you know, the, the, the most difficult limit there is going to be when you're doing in-person interviews or, or uh, team interviews or whatever. So I, I do suggest that people come up with these rough um, percentage steps that they want to take at each level. And, and then, you know, uh, I mean, one of the general things I just talked about is that you need to revisit your process and you need to make adjustments based on what you're seeing. So uh, when you're, when you're doing like the technical assessment, if it's and you have some sort of score on there, you're going to set some threshold basically for pass, no pass. And you need to keep looking at that to see if it makes sense and then get down to where you need to be. But also just more in general or more generally, you, you, you need to be aware of where the bottlenecks are. Uh, one anecdote I, I mentioned in the book is that at one company I was at the, uh, one of the co-founders, uh, 
really they, that suggested that he talked to promising looking candidates or if we had very promising looking candidates that applied or came in somehow that that he get a chance to talk to them just to really get them excited about the company and uh you know candidates responded really well to this they really liked it when the c-level co-founder gets on the phone with them and and you know tells them this is what we're doing this is why it's exciting and and of course that's also specific was specifically a person that was very good at selling what we were doing and but the problem was that this is a person who had an extremely extremely full schedule at all times so it became a bottleneck in our process uh sometimes delaying our a candidate by a week or two or or maybe even more and so eventually i just had to go in and have a discussion uh with him and say look you know i i think this is there's some value to this but it's just hurting us too much in our timeline and everything and so uh, he agreed that we just not do that anymore. And uh, so that, that's the kind of thing that uh, I hadn't really thought much about it. I, I think when I agreed to that initially, I, I hadn't uh, hadn't yet gotten a taste for the, for the scale of, of the applicant volume yet. So it seemed fine at the, at the moment, but then we started seeing that and uh, you just have to kind of take a hard look and, and uh, do things differently as, as uh, needed. Uh, something you alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, that's, kind of perennial hot topic is um, the issue of different titles. And, uh, you know, we have this thing called data science that's been around for about 10 years and the meaning of it has uh, shifted and split and you can go to one company and it means one thing and another company means something else. We now have machine learning engineer and ML ops engineer and, you know, AI engineer, all these different types of titles. Um, To what degree... Does uh, you know that matter in your hiring process, or, or or what? How are you thinking through those different taxonomies these days in terms of uh, the hiring process? Well, the broadest advice I give is that the most important thing you can do is to crisply describe what the role is you're hiring for, uh, and the reason I say that is is because even if the title doesn't fully convey what it is and it probably won't, uh, then at least your description can hopefully kind of get you there. And, uh, memes aside about people not reading job descriptions. I think that's pretty important. Um, you know, on the other hand, I I think, I think that the differentiation that's starting to come about is important for the field. Uh, it's, it's for people to understand, you know, what the relative different roles are, uh, there's still a lot of disagreement on what each title means, but I think that's probably a better, it, we're probably in a better scenario at the moment than we were 10 years ago where the data scientists had, you know, a hundred different potential skills or domains or whatever you want to call it that, that they might be potentially focusing on. And some people were doing all that stuff. Those are the crazy unicorns. Uh, but then other people, you know, they might both have that title data scientist. And when you, actually ask them what they're doing, uh, you know, the actual work was very, very different to the point where, you know, a, a, any given data scientist couldn't necessarily do the, the work of, of some other given data scientist, right? And I think we're still there to some extent. I mean, I talk in the book about if you have an early company and whatnot, you may, or, or if you're doing things that are kind of along the lines of consulting, you may really want sort of generalists uh, that are very general to do a lot of different stuff because a lot of different stuff comes up. Um, but I think overall that, uh, these 
descriptions are, you know, we're, we're getting there uh, towards better descriptions. I'm sure that, you know, things will keep evolving. So it'll always be a little bit hard to pin down, but I think that's been good. You know, I, I think there's, in the people I know, for whatever reason, the people, most people I knew that were doing this five, eight, ten years ago, they had that title data scientist. And I'd say most of the ones that I know for whatever reason are mostly now more on the MLE side of things. Um, that may be completely a, a sort of sampling bias from just the people I happen to know, but um, that's how it is. But I, I guess important there is that a lot of them, they would specifically be looking for a role called machine learning engineer nowadays rather than data scientist. And uh, so I think there's there's started to be enough kind of divergence there that uh, people are starting to think of the data scientist title more closely aligned with analytics versus say the machine learning and, and sort of at scale, heavy volume production machine learning, at least uh, not the case everywhere, but that's what seems to be going on. So I'd say in, in that sense, I think it's important to try to understand the role, look at what titles make sense, but also kind of understand a little bit about the market. So, uh, you know, if, if you keep getting a bunch of people who are mostly uh, oriented towards experimentation and statistics, but you really need someone who's a deep learning specialist, then you might have the wrong title, for example. Unfortunately, a lot of companies uh, just do a surprisingly bad job of thinking through what what they're actually trying to hire for. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I've been an interviewer in, in cases where you know, my leadership above me has not really thought through that. Um, but I th- I'm pretty sure I've also been a candidate uh, on more than one occasion, <laughs> companies that haven't really thought through that. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it can be just, frustrating. Just the, yeah. And just the basic facts of this is a costly process to try, try to hire people. You, you should really sit down and really try to hash out what you're actually looking for and not just copy and paste somebody's job description and, yeah. and think it makes sense. I mean, what one of in, in, in one of the interviews, I believe it was with Julie Hollick. I could be wrong. I reread my entire book in the last few days, but uh, it, it's, it was kind of long. And, you know, I think that the advice was basically that, you know, you just need to spend a lot of time on this. You're not going to get it right unless you really spend a lot of time and effort. And I totally agree with that. It's, uh, it's easy to not do it well. It's very, very easy to not do it well. And if you're going to do it well, it, it's just going to take a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears, unfortunately. Probably mostly your tears, but also uh, you know, other people's tears. Uh, before we wrap up, anything more you'd like to talk about the book? I, I'm, I, I'd love to talk through every bit of it, but I think we should leave something for people to go uh, buy the book and read. One of the interesting things for me in this book was uh, that it was self-published, like I said, um, I never thought about writing a book necessarily, but uh, it's interesting to see what was out there as far as the self-publishing. I, I kind of went the first option I saw, which was Lean Pub, but so far been pretty happy with that. But uh, I followed a very uh, uh, programming-like process. I wrote this book in in a form of Markdown, pushed the changes to GitHub, and then uh, Lean Pub would go down and grab the changes and build a new uh, a new PDF and and the mobile formats. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, I uh, tweeted some. Maybe I'll write a blog post about it. How I also did some uh, writing on my f- on my phone, hooking up a keyboard and stuff when I was kind of on the go some places. So that, that's kind of strange, a little bit in the we'll call this the turpentine of publishing a book. 
but uh, but you did you didn't dictate any of it into Google Glass, did you? I didn't. I didn't do that in the shower. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it has been interesting, and I you know I'm I'm interested to see the feedback coming coming from uh, the readers and and what kind of conversations this starts with people. So that'll be good. Uh, I'm also just uh, kind of coming off doing a bunch of consulting and then writing this book. I'm about to go back into the job market myself. So um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I I, I, want to take the chance to expand on that a little bit. Sure. If if you want to tell people what you're, you're looking for. Sure. So I am really looking for the uh, opportunities to build and lead uh, machine learning teams or potentially data science uh, in or an organization because it depends on the size of the company, you know, smaller companies, I'm uh, probably looking at sort of VP plus level and, and then, you know, maybe midsize more director. And, and then at some of the large, larger tech companies, I'm uh, happy to go kind of at, at a more mid-level manager uh, just to get a lot of uh, experience at different scale. Um, I, I kind of, you know, when I was thinking about these startup ideas, my, my other interests are around climate change, um, uh, preventing climate change, I guess I should be specific, and uh, <laughs> uh, around privacy. I'm, I'm known to be a uh, privacy enthusiast. Um, and so, you know, I, I've just been, uh, I'm going to start looking, see what's out there. I've talked to a, a couple of people already, but kind of I'm kind of open to a, different industries uh, but uh, hoping to find something that's either uh, remote or in Houston, Texas, which is where I'm located. And uh, what I was going to mention before was that uh, what, one of the tweets that I sent out recently was uh, just about when, when I actually talked to people, and I've talked to a couple people uh, in, in the past few months uh, or a couple companies that you know I'm also looking at their hiring process because I know that's going to be a lot of what my job is. So sort of... Uh, you know, taking notes about how they handle things and how smoothly it goes and, and how they inform the candidates of the process and, and all of these things, uh, you know, those leave an impression on me that make me, uh, makes me get a better feel for how difficult will it be to do my job if I actually go to work at this place. Right. <laughs> yeah, those can be varied experiences, yes. as we all know. Despite being a privacy enthusiast, if people want to get a hold of you, they can go to your website, roycoding.com, C-O-D-I-N-G.com, and uh, your email address is there, and they yes. can uh, you know, talk to you about job op- opportunities. And you're Roy, Roy Coding on Twitter? Yes, and I uh, currently, I've never done this before, have my DMs open. So if you want to slide in and ask me about hiring or uh, you know, offer me a, a, a role I can't refuse... Uh, you can potentially DM me, but also email. That's probably easier for a old fashioned person like myself. Excellent. And uh, Roy's book is available at dshiring.com, DS for data science hiring.com, which will take you over to lean pub uh, where you can uh, get a copy of that. And it's just ebook only at the moment, right? It's only ebook. Okay. Very good. And we, we uh, recommend it. You know, I think people who are listening to this podcast, if you haven't been involved in hiring, you probably will at some point. And I would suggest picking this up. And, uh, you know, if you haven't been involved yet, um, when you are involved, you may have the opportunity to shape how your company does it for the good and not be totally blindsided as I've been a couple times in my career 
think if you came in with uh, the knowledge from this book in hand, you would be able to offer your company a lot. So I think it's going to be useful to a very wide audience, uh, not just you know hiring managers, Let's current hope. hiring managers. I think there may even be valuable value there for uh, the candidates as well who want to just have a better understanding of, of how these these processes work. Excellent. Roy, thank you for coming on Into the Hopper. Thank you for having me, Tim. Best of luck to you.